right? This is kind of an unusual Sunday morning service. I'll say that right off the bat. A little bit different, and uh, this might be more of a Wednesday night or a Sunday night service in the sense that we are going to dig deep into some doctrine and some things that the Bible speaks of due to some recent events and things like that that I think would be good for you and I uh, to look into and understand what the Scriptures say. I appreciate the emphasis already this morning on the Word of God, uh, trusting God's Word and uh, understanding what it says and um, why it says what it says and then believing it and living it out. And so today we want to do that in the context of God's uh, temporary confirmation, the sign gifts that we see scattered throughout the scripture. We'll be here in Exodus chapter 4 in just a moment. May I, may I remind you of just a couple things as we delve into this morning's message is first of all we, we have a very subtle shrewd enemy in the devil. Since the beginning of time and the beginning of mankind, really, here on earth, he's worked tirelessly at sowing error and falsities and lies. Yet, our God, the God that you and I serve, the God of the Bible, is a God of clarity. He is a God of clarity. The devil, though, would love to sow confusion. He wants to spread confusion. He, he wants to cloud the very truth that God gives. Uh, he wants to blur it in the eyes of people. In the Garden of Eden, we quickly learned the, the ways of the devil, didn't we? God had spoken revelation. He had given his word. He had told Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, uh, don't eat of this tree because when you do, ye shall surely die. Okay? The devil comes right on his heels and he says to Adam and Eve, I don't know, ye shall not surely die. But then he goes on to say, ye shall be as God's. So something completely different. He had taken the, what God had said and, boy, clouding it, lying about it, however you want to put it, describing it. And so it began, right? From the beginning, that's exactly what Satan has tried to do. He has attempted to thwart and cloud and confuse every time that God speaks to mankind and every time that he reveals something to him, and don't miss it, often something new. When God comes with a message that has not been heard or has been not heard broadly, boy, when that happens and, and God does some things to confirm that, boy, Satan likes to try to mess that up. We also know this about God he, uh, and Satan. When God does something, Satan loves to be an imitator, doesn't he? One of the amazing things that we read as the end times grow closer, as you and I come on the, the, the doorstep of the end times, is the Bible tells us that the fact of imitators will increase. That the time of, of Antichrist, those who claim to be Christ, that will increase. The frequency will increase. Therefore, God has seen fit to do wonders and miracles at specific times when he sends a messenger with a message from him. Those gifts or those wonders, excuse me, those miracles are often referred to as sign gifts. As we peruse the scripture, we see immediately that, what is it speaking of? Well, at times it includes speaking in tongues, it includes visions, it includes healing by an individual direct, directly, it involves raising the dead, it involves performed miracles and it involves uh, what we would call prophesying, prophesying. Now that last word, and I think it would do us well to kind of uh, delve in there just for a moment, that word prophesying, as we look at it, we are reminded that it literally means two things. There's two aspects about it. As it's used in the scripture, it describes what it's called foretelling or, and forthtelling. So foretelling and foretelling. So when we see the word prophesying or prophecy, it is referring to that, especially here in the New Testament. You say, what's the difference? Well, foretelling is what we would call prescriptive prescriptive 
the known word of God that we already have uh, is given. It's not for the future, it's for the present. So it, it's preaching, uh, prophesying, it's telling what God has already said, what God has already given, what God has already revealed. We are foretelling it. We're uh, sharing what has already been established as the word of God. That is one meaning of the word prophesying. As we get near the end of the, the New Testament, it is widely used in that sense. Its goal is instruction, edification, exhortation, comfort. Paul would describe it in 1 Corinthians 14, 3. He says this, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Foretelling is more than we, we sometimes associate with the word prophecy, okay? Or foretelling, excuse me. Foretelling is, it's predictive, right? It predicts something. It speaks to something that will happen in the future. Um, it's predictive in that sense. It certainly, it too, is capable of edification, exhortation, and comfort. But it is no longer needed when God's revelation is complete and the word of God has been given. There's no need to speak to the future when God has already told us everything we need to know about the future. And so that idea of foretelling as, as part of these sign gifts, we'll see, uh, it, it, it comes to a close when the revelation is completed. When, when God has given his word for all, everything that he wants uh, the folks or the people, the audience to know, that comes to a close. Now, we often think of these sign gifts in relation to just the New Testament. The fact is, throughout the history of mankind, um, God has used them. And we want to see some of the biblical instances, but let's understand, when we talk about these sign gifts, what is their goal? What is their desire? Well, their entire intent, design, and purpose uh, is as confirmation from God that the messenger, that this messenger is from God, and that the message he brings is the Word of God. So it's a challenge to hear him. So when as we read of these sign gifts and different miracles and wonders that happen throughout the scriptures, God is saying from heaven, hey, this is my messenger and this is my message. So listen to him or her and, and, and hear what they have to say. Hear the message that I have for you. That's why we're here in Exodus chapter 4. In Exodus chapter 3 and 4, God has come to Moses, right? Uh, burning bush and all that good stuff. And, and Moses is told he's going to be used by God to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. Moses offers up immediately the excuses. I can't do that. I, I, any excuse that he can think of, he, he offers. Look at verse 1, Exodus chapter 4. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, speaking of the Israelites, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto me. Okay, so immediately he says, they're not going to listen to me. God, they're going to dismiss me as anybody else. They're not going to think I came from you. They're not going to think that the very message I bring is from you. God, just, uh, they don't even know who I am. And so God then basically says, okay, here's what you're going to show them. Here's how you're going to uh, demonstrate that you are from me. Okay, so what's the first thing God does? He says, well, Moses, here's what you're going to do. When you go into their midst, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to cast down your rod. And I love what happens. He casts down the rod. He throws down his staff. And it ha what happens? We know it. It turns into a, okay, it turns into a snake, a serpent. Here's what I like. Moses gives me great encouragement. Moses is just, <laughs> I like him. Why? Because in verse 3, you know what it says? He fled before the snake. He ran away. I'm thinking, that's my kind of man, right? He throws his stick down. He says he fled before the snake. I'd be doing the same thing, amen? You throw the stick. There's a snake. I'm getting out of here. Let somebody else deal with it. But then God comes to him and says, hey, Moses. And here's where the most faith came in, amen? He said, grab him by his tail. Ain't no way, Lord. That ain't happening. 
Ain't going to do that. Okay? I need Aaron here now, ASAP. Send him a text message. Get him here now. I'm not picking that snake up by the tail, but he does, right? He reaches down, he picks it up, it turns back to the rod, it turns back to the staff. And God says, all right, here's what else I want you to do. I want you to take your hand, stick it inside, the description here is in your bosom, inside your cloak, you turn there. He pulls it out, it's leprosy. It's through and through, white with leprosy. And then he puts it back in, and it's 100% back to normal. These were sign gifts. These were demonstrations. This is my messenger. He has a message from me, God, to all of Israel and to Egypt, the Pharaoh and Saj. This is uh, um, then followed up by others. Look at verse number five, if you will, quickly. Verse number five here in Exodus chapter number four. That they may believe. Here's the purpose. Here's the goal. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. So don't miss it. What is the goal? Their belief. That's the goal. That's the point, the object, the, the intent, the design of the gifts. These are sign gifts. Hey, you are from me, and you are my messenger, and here is the message that is from not just you, Moses. It's a message from God. Look down at verse number 8, if you will. And it shall come to pass that if they shall, will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. Okay? Okay? Now, I like that statement because he says what? These are, these are signs, right? These are signs. These are indicators that he was the messenger of God and the word he brought that it was the very message or the word of God. Okay, something new. I, I'm sending you here to share that I'm going to take them out of Egypt and, and remove them accordingly. God also knew that Israel would be hard-hearted. <laughs> Look at verse number 9, if you will. Look at verse number 9 here, the same passage. And it shall come to pass that if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, then thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Okay? So he gives them another wonder to perform, another sign gift uh, to confirm and authenticate uh, who he is and what he brings. And so then when Moses finally goes off to Egypt, and he appears before Pharaoh, really the whole nation at times too of the Israel, God said something interesting. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 7. We'll just turn over to Exodus chapter 7. We'll have you look at several passages today. I hope you'll join us. Exodus chapter 7, we look at verse number 3. Here's what we read. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply, notice this statement, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. So that Egypt would not miss, who is it that's coming here to get the Israelites? Oh, it's the God of heaven. Notice verse 4. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth uh, mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know. What will they know? What will they believe? That I am the Lord. When I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and all of those wonders and events, I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Okay? God's going to do what? He says, I'm going to multiply signs and wonders. I'm going to do things in the land of Egypt so they know that I, I am the Lord. Literally, I'm doing all of this so that they will listen to my words. I'm the God of heaven, and this message is for me. Let my people go. Israel's going to come out. I will bring them out. It's a powerful illustration of God confirming both his messenger and his message from him. 
Okay? It didn't stop with Moses, right? As we go through the, the, the Old Testament, we come upon the prophets of old. They performed miracles and wonders at times to confirm that God sent them as a prophet, that God sent them with a message for the nation of Israel or for other groups. Take Elijah, for example, right? Elijah there on Mount Carmel. He squared off with the false prophets of Baal. He prayed to God, uh, to the God of heaven, that he'd send down fire, that he'd consume the sacrifice, the altar, the water that had been poured on it, the water even on the ground. What was the point of it? Well, the Bible tells us, right? In 1 Kings chapter 18. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant, message and messenger, author of the message and author of the messenger. Confirm that through what you're going to do, that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O God, or O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Again, another miracle as we uh, have read of that fire coming down, consuming the altar, the sacrifice, and everything else, confirming that Elijah was the servant and messenger of God, that God was behind all of it. We fast forward, we go to the times of Christ, and certainly we cannot deny that his ministry was accompanied by many different signs and wonders. In fact, John says uh, the volumes can't be written to describe everything that Christ himself did and performed. But to perform those miracles, the miraculous healings and other things, that is not why Jesus came. Turn with me to John chapter 10, will you? John chapter 10. We go to the New Testament here, if you will. John chapter 10, as we see that, that God continues to use these um, signs and things, uh, not frequently, just different times when he's going to speak to people, when he's going to share often new information or new revelation is when he does so. He uses these signs. So we come to John chapter 10. We look in John chapter 10, specifically verses 37 and 38, if you will. And notice what um, John records for us here. John chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. Christ's words. If I do the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may, no, here's the word again, that ye may know, that ye may believe, that ye may have knowledge of this, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. So why did, why did Christ do the miracles and the wonders that he did all throughout the Gospels? Simply, he performed those so that people would know and believe that he was from God, that he is God, and that what he spoke was indeed the very word of God. So when Jesus Christ came and did all these miracles, it wasn't just to make a, a social impact. It wasn't just to, to, to do good, though that is important. No, no, Jesus Christ did all the works and the wonders and the miracles. Why? To show people, I am from God, I am God, and I have the very message of God. In fact, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's Christ. Christ is the Word. So he is confirming in the eyes of people, all right, the Messiah has arrived. This is new. He's come. The promised one has arrived here on earth, the anointed one, the Christ. And so now that is being proclaimed. It is being confirmed by the works and the miracles and the things that even Christ himself did. 
Now we fast forward to the next time, the next age or period. That is the, the times of the apostles, the times of the apostles, okay? Turn to Acts chapter 2, if you will, with me. Acts chapter 2. We'll kind of sit here for a while in Acts chapter 2. So we've built a historical case here, the evidence of God using at specific times these sign gifts and wonders to say, okay, he's my messenger, this is my message, and it confirms it. It isn't throughout the entirety of it. No, it's at specific times that God used it for a new revelation, new things being given to mankind. We come to Acts chapter 2. Now, we use this term apostle. We want to make sure that we understand we're all on the same page when it comes to apostle, okay? Some have tried to resurrect this term modernly for leaders within the church. Well, that's kind of impossible to do because here's the definition of apostle by the word of God. Number one, they've seen the resurrected Christ. That's why Paul, when he saw him on the road, uh, on the road there, he said, I'm an apostle born out of due time, right? Because he was able to see Christ, though he didn't walk the earth like the other apostles and so with him at that time. So he, he was an apostle born out, of, uh, born out of time as he describes there number two likewise they have been explicitly chosen by the holy spirit as paul was in acts chapter 9 and so forth they've been chosen by the holy spirit or you could even say by the lord as the disciples who became apostles were and then number three god had given them the ability to perform signs and wonders we see that confirmed in different places in fact i love hebrews chapter number two because hebrews chapter number two verses three and four speaks of that god first at the first at the beginning, when the gospel was first presented, he enabled them to have signs and wonders to confirm that message. When it was first introduced, when the revelation that Jesus Christ was the Messiah first was given to mankind and the Jews and Israelites, there were signs and wonders to confirm that. And he says, at the first, in the beginning. Okay? And so Paul was likewise even given that. So these three characterizations, three qualifications for what an apostle was and who had the ability. We know that the day of Pentecost then came. The day of Pentecost was a great manifestation. The Holy Spirit had come upon the believers. And as the Holy Spirit did just that, then now on this day, the Holy Spirit allowed signs and gifts, produced signs and gifts, before the Jews that were gathered. And they were gathered from different groups of people and nations. And this was the first time, don't miss it. This was the first time many of them would hear. The Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament is now here. He came to earth. He died on the cross. He rose again. And he did all of that so that you could gain a place in heaven. That's called the gospel. Paul were right. He said, hey, here's the gospel. Jesus Christ came. He died. He rose again. He's now in heaven so that you and I could gain heaven and lose hell. Here's the gospel. And so on this day of Pentecost, there's Jews gathering around. They have no clue that the, the anointed one, the Messiah, has come. And so God is saying, I'm going to confirm my message, and I'm going to confirm you're my messenger." Here's how it's going to happen, and it plays out for us beautifully here in the passage. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse number 5, if you will. Look at verse 5. Here's what we read. Acts 2, 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout man, notice it, and of every nation under heaven. They had come for celebrations. They had come for feasts. And now here they are. They're all gathered here in Jerusalem out of many different places and many different nations, many different groups of people, obviously speaking many different languages. And so now we see these signs and wonders explicitly on display to show the apostles were sent by God. They spoke the word of God. 
In verse number four, we see what happens. The Holy Spirit begins to grant them the ability to speak in tongues, as it's described. Literally, language foreign to them. They were speaking and being heard in the language of the people that had gathered. So they would speak and talk, and, and folks who were from every different language and every different uh, nation could hear and understand in their own language the gospel. You see... Um, <laughs> Paul would write, and because again, we're talking, day of Pentecost, people who have never heard the gospel, they never heard of Jesus Christ, these signs were given, and as Paul would write later, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22, he says this, wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Now, can I tell you, he goes on in that same chapter, he says, listen, we, the, the tongues in the church, that's not very beneficial, because they're for those who do not believe. They were just a sign to say, hey, this person is from God, and you ought to listen to them because they have the very word of God. It was a sign, a demonstration. Hey, this person, a seal of authenticity, okay? A seal that this person is from God, speaks the word of God. You see, they were given to confirm that the gospel, the truth was being preached, and that it was from God. Paul would also point out now, and here's where it comes into modern error, they would often preach, and, or excuse me, Paul would, also, would point out that these sign gifts would cease, right? 1 Corinthians, we read it, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. Charity, love never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. That's the, the foretelling, right? And, and, and such. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We'll speak to that more in a moment. But do you remember the response of the people here in Acts chapter 2? <laughs> they marveled. They were confounded. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How do you hear him in your language? How do I hear him in our language? He, it's just one guy speaking. He's just, they're, they're talking or a couple guys. And we hear him in our own language. They were amazed. And listen, don't miss it. They then gathered and it piqued their interest so they could listen to the very gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6, if you will. Notice it. Verse 6 here in the same chapter. It says this. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? They're from this language. How do we hear them in our language? And how hear we every man our own tongue wherein we were born? And notice this list, Parthians, okay? Or Parthians, excuse me, Medes, Leamites, the dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretes, Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of who? God. They get it. Man, this is, man, we, this is amazing. This is a miracle. We all hear them in our different language. And we hear the wonderful works of God. We understand what they're saying. That's what that says. We know they're talking about God. This is from God. This is of God. It has this, shall we say, a stamp of approval. He is confirming that the message is from him. Now listen, do not miss it. They did not have the gospel, the word of God, for themselves. They didn't have the Bible to read the gospel and the word of God. So God confirms that these men are giving just that. So here they hear the word of God. Here they hear the gospel, many of them for the first time, if not all of them. So God gave these sign gifts to garner their attention. They gathered together, words spread out. They listen, something's happening down there. There's a miracle happening. You need to come. You need to listen to what these men have to say. Now, here's the point. So what happens? 
Peter gets up and preaches. You know what Peter preaches? He doesn't get up and say, oh, aren't these gifts wonderful? Isn't this neat that we can do that? You know what he preaches? Verse 38. You know what he tells them to do? Repent. Repent. You need to come to Jesus Christ. That's, th th these signs were just to get your attention. These signs were just to tell you this messenger, these messengers were from God. This message is from God, and you need to listen to the truth. Here's the truth. Repent because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Trust him today. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And so it would continue. See, Acts, Acts is full of these signs and gifts on display. In a moment, we'll talk about how it's a transitional book. For the growth and the birth of the church, Acts describes that birth and transition from the, 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 the disciples and the apostles to the, the early churches scattered abroad and, and such. It's very transitional, very foundational. We see in Acts, you know, Philip, we read of Philip. Philip did many miracles and signs as recorded in Acts chapter 8 as he preached the gospel. He preached the word of God. Paul, he raised Eutychus and, uh, from the dead in Acts chapter 20 as he preached the word of God. It confirmed that he was from God. Many other miracles and such are recorded. When Peter went to Cornelius, a Gentile, for the very first time they were to hear the gospel, there were sign gifts on display as the gospel, the word of God, was presented. You see, Acts is very, again, foundational and transitional. These sign gifts were on display when God needed to confirm both his messenger and his message. Okay? We see them, again, throughout history even. Confirm Moses, confirm the prophets like Elijah, confirm that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Messiah. These gifts are evident at those specific times for a specific purpose. We're confirming the, mess confirming the message, confirming the author of the message and the messenger. These signs ac accompany those things. They were given to gain the attention of the audience that they might hear and believe. I don't know about you, but if someone walked in, they threw down a staff and it, it, it turned into a snake, he'd have my attention, Amen. I, many of the sayings that Jesus Christ did. If I walked into a gathering of people and they were from all over the world in all different languages and they were all hearing someone speak in their own language, that sure would get my attention, wouldn't yours? When, when someone raised somebody from the dead, when, when Philip did these sayings, these apostles did different things in raising people, healing people, these miracles would get our attention. And that was the whole point, to get the attention so they would listen to the very words of God. The gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, so they were given to gain the attention, to confirm that this is indeed the message and that they would hear. After the message was given and confirmed, these signs then faded away. There's no need for them to continue the, the confirmation that already being given. You see, the responsibility of the 12 apostles was to lay the foundation of the church with the gospel. And so that required a uniqueness of the sign gifts, the confirmation of God at that time. Just as it was for Moses and Elijah and Christ when he came, the messengers confirmed that they were from God, bringing the message of God. Therefore, as Paul writes then in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, listen, the, the speaking in tongues, these sign gifts, these will cease. They're for a particular specific time. And they cease once the message is given and confirmed. When it is established, this is from God, this is the message that God has, and there is no need for any greater or newer revelation. And let me encourage you right now this morning, listen carefully. The revelation of God that you and I now have in his word is complete, and it is full, and it is everything we need to know before Christ returns. The next revelation you and I will ever get and receive will be from God himself and Jesus Christ. 
We have everything we need, okay? So everything that was necessary in the Old Testament into the New Testament, these sign gifts to confirm that's from God, my friend, there's no new revelation coming. If you read on Google, there's new revelation. If you hear somebody preach and say, I have a new revelation for you, you ought to run away. Because there's no new revelation. There's no sign gifts necessary or needed to confirm that it's from God because God has given you and I everything we need to know right now and until Jesus Christ returns. So it eliminates, as Paul says, listen, sign gifts are going to cease. The cessation of sign gifts, as the, the doctrine describes, there's no need for those anymore because we have the revelation of God. Let me give you, if I might, a few of the biblical evidences uh, so that you and I can answer such. What are some of the biblical evidences, as beyond what we've obviously seen, uh, for the sign gifts ceasing? Number one, okay, during the initial time after Christ's resurrection, it was a unique time of the apostles in those early years laying the foundation of the church through presenting the gospel and spreading the word of God, okay? Literally, they're laying the foundation. That's why we call it transitional. It's foundational, the book of Acts. It's describing the beginnings of the church and establishing the presenting of the gospel in plain. We see that and understanding that, okay? And uh, the gospel wasn't written like it is for you and I today. They didn't have that. They didn't have gospel tracts to send out. They, they couldn't publish it. That wasn't there at all in any form, shape, or anything. And so as they came and they preached that this is Christ. In fact, Paul says what? We preach who? Christ. We preach Christ. And so those signs and those things confirmed, yeah, this is from God. He is behind this thing. Now, think about it. Once this work and ministry was accomplished, the foundational, the transitional ministry, these signs that authenticated the message were not needed. Now, let's just think very practically, okay? I'm no builder of houses or anything far from it. But this thing I do know, you don't keep laying the foundation over and over and over and over again. That'd be a very weird-looking house. There's no need to lay a foundation time and time and time and time again. These things were correlated, unique, to the laying of the foundation. Who was given the responsibility? The apostles. Disciples, they were laid, laid the foundation of the church. Christ is the, the, the cornerstone of that. Christ is, is built on him. He is, he is everything to the church. And yet he built his church, chose to do it through the disciples and the apostles and what they did here. And God confirmed it through these sign gifts for that time and such. You see, the same is true with God's word in the early years of the New Testament recorded for us here in Acts. As we get farther in Acts, we see less and less and fewer of these things happening because the foundation's already being laid. And there's no need for the continuation. Number two, notice this, if you will. Number two, the Bible makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 14. These sign gifts, such as speaking in tongues, are inferior to the foretelling of prophecy, the preaching of the Word of God. Paul makes an interesting thing. He's writing to churches in the Corinthians and Thessalonians and other books that follow. He's writing to pastors in the pastoral epistles. And one of the things we see, and we'll see this in just a moment, that I think is just one of the greatest biblical evidences of the cessation of the sign gifts, is this reality here, okay? The edification and conviction needed in every life does not come from those sign gifts. It comes from the very Word of God. See, Paul would write, says, your word, God, is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word is good to the use of edifying. Your word gives instruction and correction. It's the word of God that gives these things. It's the word God established that. You see, during the time that they were even still in use, the sign gifts, 
Paul clearly says that preaching is to be valued over those sign gifts, and specifically even what is described as speaking in tongues. Here's what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 14. I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. So understand the little difficulty in English here. What he's saying is that, that that's good, speaking tongues, but man, I'll tell you what. You know what's a whole lot better? Just tell the word of God. Just tell the truth. Forth telling. Just tell what God has already revealed, what God has already given. Give out the gospel. Tell it. That is much better for edification as he goes on there. It's of more value. In the very next verse, you know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? He says the speaking of tongues is really without value unless it is coupled with good revelation, the preaching of the word of God, uh, knowledge, doctrine, preaching. He says it's, it, it's, it's really of little use unless it's accompanied with that. Hence, Acts chapter 2. What made that such a powerful thing? Listen, those people were not saved and added to the church because they heard somebody in their own tongue. Here's, what they were, here's how they were saved and added to the church. Because they heard the gospel. Hearing in their own language is the means and the modes by which this happened. My, my friend, the sign gifts never changed a person. God's word changes people. The truth of God's word. So Paul's saying that here. That is the value. In verse number four, he says, honestly, speaking in tongues really doesn't edify anyone else. Preaching does. The times of the apostle was coming to a close. The apostles and these signs, gifts were ceasing. The book of Romans, I love this. Think about it, logically. The book of Romans asks, how will they hear without a preacher? Uh, someone who prophesies, foretells the truth. How are they going to hear without them? It does not say, how will they hear without someone who speaks in tongues? I don't know about you, but I sure am thankful for language schools for our missionaries. Aren't you? I'm thinking, well, they can learn languages and they can be taught how to, because th this gift is not around today. God said, no, no, I have already given the word of God. And they can learn languages. It does not say, how will they hear without someone doing miracles and signs? There's no miracles and signs to conform that this is God's word because, my friend, it tells us it's God's word. It says it's from God. He is the author, the finisher of our faith. This is his word for you and I. The Bible is clear that these things have ceased. You know, the sad part is this. There are those that would argue that these sign gifts are still around today. And in practice, in practice, in churches today, they make them bigger and more important than even the Word of God. And that is dangerous. That is dangerous. When we begin to say my revelation comes <laughs> through gifts and so forth and extra revelation over coming from the word of God, we're in trouble. Because the devil who was in the Garden of Eden is still at work today. He's trying to confuse. Where God wants clarity, he wants confusion. What God says, he tries to cloud it. What God preaches and tells us, he wants to make a mess of it. Our enemy. They want to make it better. Uh, they want to make those things bigger than the very word of God. And Satan loves it. It's not right. It's not what the Bible teaches. I love what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 20. Again, he's writing a church. He says this, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He's getting down to it. He Paul saying, listen, we're coming to the point where it's just about all the preaching of God. He calls it the foolishness of preaching. For Jews require a... Hmm, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? So that, let's tie it together. So when that, the, 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 the disciples and the apostles first brought, hey, this Jesus Christ whom you have crucified was the Messiah. When that starts kind of thing, we're showing signs to the unbelieving Jews that, hey, this is the Messiah. We're telling you the truth. 
The Jews seek for a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. And do you remember what Paul says here to them? He says, listen, it's not about the sign. It's not about articulating all that wisdom for the Greeks and everything else. You know what we do? Here's what we do. We preach Christ crucified. We preach the gospel. It has been given. It has been confirmed, authenticated already. There's no greater need for it. It's already been confirmed and authenticated. The Holy Spirit can do what he needs to do today in the hearts of believers and in the hearts of unbelievers to authenticate the message. The fact is this. We just simply preach Christ. And sadly for the Jews who keep looking for a sign, it can be a stumbling block. And as he goes on here, the Greeks, it seems like foolishness. You see, we can derive easily from all the evidence here given thus far. The sign gifts were temporary, a momentary confirmation of God's authorship of both the message and message. But I sure am glad that though the sign gifts have faltered and failed and cease, God's word lasts forever. The truth is there, and it lasts forever for you and I. Notice it, verse number three, and third evidence, if I may put it this way. Paul's writing, I think this is, this is extremely convincing. Paul's writings are a great proof of evidence of the cessation of the sign gifts as we consider them from a chronological perspective, the order in which they were written. Okay? We understand that as the translators put the Bible together, they, they arranged it in certain ways. Okay? Often in our Bibles, you'll have a date at the top of your Bible. Mine does here. Sometimes they don't, but you can study when we guess for the best part, best of our knowledge, when these letters were written. That's what we would call the chronological order. In fact, we understand that Job and many of the things that happened there uh, before much of Genesis was written. Okay? Obviously, Genesis 1, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 is the beginning of mankind okay but job happens somewhere that's not how it is in our bible we don't open our bible and find job in the middle of genesis right that's not how it happens so same is true of the new testament these letters are written at different times and different places and different occurrences of events okay now as paul is writing he writes letters to the churches the epistles that he writes pastoral epistles and such the ones that he wrote to the churches as he wrote them during the time recorded in Acts, especially at the beginning, there were six of them, okay? Uh, the two books to the Corinthians, the two books to the Thessalonians, and even Romans and Galatians is found in this group that he wrote during the early part of Acts. And so we can read what happened in Acts, and we can put together kind of the things he mentions in these letters, and we can see, okay, yeah, this was written during this time and in these times. These things that were written, we see him speak often of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that are given okay they're in there he's describing them and talking about them we just read first corinthians chapter 14 he is speaking to the, the the idea of speaking in tongues the miracles the other things that happen and so forth yet it was also during this time that these six epistles that paul uh, god tells paul these things will soon cease soon see then a few years later paul writes the four prison epistles and his pastoral epistles now, here's what's interesting. When you compare the earlier epistles to the, these last epistles, and, and Hebrews is even in there, except for that little statement in, verse, in Hebrews chapter 2, which is talking about the past at the first. It's describing that something that's already happened. You can look at the exegetical of the Greek and so forth. You can see he's saying that happened back then. That's the only statement. Now, all of these that he wrote later, these pastoral epistles, the prison epistles, okay? You say, what are the prison epistles? While he was in prison, different times he wrote these epistles to, to different ones philippians is a great example and writing of joy and others that that he writes while he is in prison for ministering for god and serving god now notice this what's the big difference between those that were written before and those that we are meant to speaking about now 
there's not one statement or verse about speaking in tongues or healing. So as we look at the writings of Paul, it's obvious that he started here and he's describing the early part of Acts. Yeah, this is happening. This is taking place. But as he continues to write to the churches, he understands 1 Corinthians 13. Mm, speaking in tongues, other sign gifts, they're going to seize. Here's what I find amazing to me. If you were to look at a lot of these other Ephesians, especially all these other books that were written later in epistles where he doesn't mention the sign gifts, let me ask you, does he mention the Holy Spirit? You better believe he does. Many times over, he talks about the Holy Spirit, but not once as he talks about the Holy Spirit is there a reference to the sign gifts. Not once does he say, okay, well, this is how we're going to see the manifestation of the Spirit. That's not what he says. As he's transitioned and he's moved along, even towards the end of the book of Acts, that doesn't happen. You see, as we get to Acts, even in Acts chapter 28, Paul healed someone there by laying on a hand. You can go there and read it. But now as he gets to these later books that happened after Acts 28 and subsequently, you see, these later years, he has friends that are sick. He has people that are hurting and and yet he no longer displays those gifts, the, the, the confirmation that he was sent of God, the messenger of God. Those, those things aren't happening. In fact, the book of Philippians tells us that he had a friend named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was seriously ill. Paul did not heal him. Timothy, we know Timothy was suffering from stomach and intestinal issues, and he was his son in the faith. If there's anybody a faith healer would love to heal, wouldn't it be your own son? Wouldn't it be your son in the faith? But he didn't. He didn't do that. And furthermore, can I tell you right now, Paul did not heal him, nor did he recommend that he go to some conference and be hit on the head. He didn't recommend it. Timothy, good news. There in that city, there's going to be a three-day crusade and conference. Go there and be healed. He didn't say that. He didn't say, Paul, he didn't say, Timothy, I, I prayed on this sheet uh, of cloth, and so I'm going to send it to you. You touch that and you pray on it too. You're going to be healed, friend. Paul didn't say that. You say, so Pastor Henry, you're being facetious. Can I tell you, there's a lot of false teachers out there today that say such things. They're trying to tell, oh, these are the gifts. He's confirmed. This is the Holy Spirit working today. And, boy, he's, he's confirming his message. No, 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 no. No. Paul is making it clear, even through his writings, as we have already seen throughout the Scriptures, it's just not true. Can I tell you, in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 20, there's a, general, a fellow laborer of Paul mentioned, Trophimus. He's in Miletum. And you think of it, here's what Paul writes about him. I left him because he was sick. He didn't. He couldn't heal him. He, he didn't lift him. He said, no, 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 pray for him. I, I left him there because he was sick. Yeah, that was inconvenient. That was uncomfortable. That was not, I mean, why wouldn't he heal him if he still had those sign gifts happening in that time? The ability to do so. Moving on, the ultimate question, why didn't Paul heal himself, Amen. He besought Christ, or besought God, excuse me, three times. Take, take away this thorn in the flesh. Would you, I, boy, I could serve you so much better. I could do so many things if I, if I would not have this thorn in the flesh. You know what it shows and demonstrates? Paul's gifts of healing, the other sign gifts um, displayed by he and the other apostles had ceased sometimes after Acts 28, believed to be around A.D. 62, and when these later epistles were written, which was about A.D. 64 to A.D. 68. So even while the New Testament was being finalized, while the letters, the, the final letters were being put together, we see these sign gifts cease. Why? Because God had already given his revelation. There's no need to come along and these sign gifts to demonstrate and confirm. 
Messenger is from God. Message is from God. It was not necessary. Number four, biblical evidence, and we're almost done. Sign gifts confirm the authenticity of God's messenger uh, and the message of that time. You say, well, what do we do today? Well, today we have something far greater than those signs. Can I tell you what it is? It's the very word of God. It's the very word of God. Even during the time, okay? Even during the time of the sign gifts, there was churches who realized that and began practicing, right? The truth was displayed by some early Christians in the local church. That's the church of Berea. The believers of Berea were commended. Why? Well, notice it. Notice what happens in Acts 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. It wasn't about the sign gifts, confirming this. But now we have some, some of the word of God. Now we can go check it out and say, okay, that person said this. I'm going to check it according to the doctrine and the word of God and what it teaches. I'm going to search it daily. I'm going to make sure that word have I hid in my heart so that I, I know exactly what is the word of God. Is this person really a, a preacher of God? Is this really person a, really a messenger of God? Because, my friend, God has given us everything we need to know till he returns. And so we can use the very word of God to confirm such. Can I just encourage you this morning? There is no better authenticator of someone speaking for God than comparing it to the very word of God we have before us. It is the thing that you hold it up against. Okay, is this the real thing? Is this the real McCoy? Is this right? Hold it up against the very word of God. So what does that mean for us today? What do we take away from and I admit, it's an in-depth study. We've covered a lot, and I trust you'll go back and do as we just talked about the church of Berea did. Search the Scriptures. See it for yourselves as we've presented God's Word. But what do we do? How do we go away from today? Well, here's today's takeaways, if I could share them with you, and we'll be done. Number one, we must biblically reject the notion that there are people that have these gifts today. The Bible is clear. I believe the evidence speaks for itself. And more importantly, they have ceased. Why? Because God said so. God said so. Number two, we should be thankful. We should be grateful that we have something much greater and more powerful than those sign gifts of old as confirmation. We have the very word of God. We have his complete revelation, the, the confirmation of his word. Can I just tell you right now, God needs no signs to confirm what his book already establishes. These are his words, and this is God's message. It's his. We, we need only hear it and heed it take it for what it is my friend and finally don't miss this so the question well if the holy spirit isn't showing up from people speaking in tongues and the holy spirit isn't showing up and people going to be healed and and the holy spirit isn't manifesting himself in that way then, then boy, what what's going on today Whoo! i'm glad you asked something much greater something much bigger what is that well, the same Holy Spirit that empowered those believers to perform such wonderful miracles and, and wonders is the same Holy Spirit that indwells you. That will control you if you and I will but yield to Him. And what is it that He produces in you and I today that is as good, if not better, than sign gifts? What, what is it that the Holy Spirit shows up in your life and says, wow, God has showed up in their life. He has changed them. They know the gospel. They know the word of God. They are His messenger left here on earth to be the salt and the light of this world. What does the Holy Spirit produce in us? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness temperance they are the fruit of the holy spirit 
And just as he performed these signs back here to confirm and authenticate, can I tell you, when you tell your coworker of Jesus Christ, when you witness to somebody, I have trusted in Jesus Christ, there is no, there is no better evidence to the power of God's word than a changed life. Producing in you the very fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants to do. In fact, can I put it this way? We're done. You and I, if we allow the Holy Spirit to do just what we spoke of in your life, you will have the greatest quote-unquote sign that could accompany the gospel you preach, and that is a changed life. Hey, he's made all the difference for me. Can I tell you about my Savior from his very word? Can I just share it with you? What can change your life like nothing else? And my friend, as they watch you and they see your life, boy, they'll know, wow, there is something about that. It is powerful. It does work. And it is about God, his word, his gospel. It changes lives. Father, we thank you for your word. I'm grateful for these truths. And Lord, how you have shared them with us through your word. I'm grateful for how you've expressed and taught us these things. Father, I'm also very grateful and very thankful for the very word of God we hold. Lord, I pray that we think, take these things to heart this morning. I pray, Father, that we would resist false doctrine, that we would resist those who would tell us differently from your word. I pray, Father, that you would likewise help us to be thankful and grateful for the very word of God we have. May we daily yield to the Holy Spirit. May we choose to submit to Him on a daily basis so that the very fruit of the Spirit can be on display in our lives, a, a sign to the world that there, that there is a God, there is the, uh, the truth of the gospel message, Lord, and that Christ lives. May we be the salt and the light that you've called us to be, Lord, and may we understand what we believe and why we believe it. And Father, may you use us in the lives of other people. Now, my Father, I pray you'd bless even in this invitation. I pray you'd encourage your own. And Lord, challenge. Maybe there's one here today, Father, that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I, I pray, Father, that they would come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That they would understand that indeed Jesus did die on the cross for their sins, pay their penalty, their wages of their sin, so that they could gain heaven and lose hell through putting their faith and trust in Him alone. Father, I pray you'd work in every heart, even in this invitation.